So I spent a couple days reading and evaluating many, many studies. And uh, at the end of the day, the NTSB has some really good recommendations that really follow with what I what I believe in. So we're going to go over eight of them. Number one, they, they talk about vehicle hazard detection. So they say many high-risk traffic situations between motorcycles and other motor vehicles could be prevented if vehicle drivers were better able to detect and anticipate the presence of a motorcycle when entering or crossing a road, making a turn, or changing lanes. Now, this is talking about uh, other vehicles seeing us. So we're taught in MSF and whatever place you got your training at uh, to present yourself better, to make it so that you're seen. And when it comes to vehicle hazard detection, they just don't see us. Our profile is super small. We have one headlight. So if we're like right positioned with another vehicle, we blend in with that vehicle. We pretty much take over uh, with their field of view. Like our headlight will be the person's left headlight behind us. So it really looks like it's just a car. So we start having these issues. So that's where moving around and presenting yourself, kind of like moving around your lane a little bit, coming up to an intersection or when a car is wanting to pull out in front of us, just kind of move around, but still be prepared for that swerve or braking will really grab their attention. Another thing that grabs people's attention um, when it comes to that moving around, it's the headlight that's grabbing their attention. So the thing that grabs their attention is the light. So having a modulating headlight, uh, if you're allowed to in your state, would drastically improve the motorcycle detection when it comes to the other vehicle. Okay, so uh, if you can, based off of their recommendation is that many high-risk traffic situ situations be between vehicles could be prevented if the other vehicle could see us. And that's where a lot of the anecdotal information that we're getting is like, well, drivers don't see us. Well, what we can do is have that modulating headlight or present ourselves even better by giving ourselves uh, more time and more room. So slowing down before the intersection and moving around a little bit. So if we can't have that modulating headlight, which goes on, off, on, off, on, off, it's basically high beam, low beam, high beam, low beam. Um, if we can't get that in our state, uh, or wherever it is that you are with your municipality, move around left and right just a little bit. I'm not talking from lane position one to three, but just just a little bit, even within just lane position two or something. And that's just going to make it move a little bit, okay? So that's something that uh, I kind of got from that recommendation. The next recommendation, which is number two, is going to be improve your hazard detection time. Now, this is based off of the motorcyclist. So motorcycle riders collision avoidance performance could be improved by extending the range of hazard detection and providing riders with more information, enhanced awareness, and more time to react to crash risks. Now, that all goes towards hazard perception and then situational awareness. Um, I have on the Dana and the Fireman channel... If you're watching this on After the Ride or listening to this on iTunes or Spotify, um, I do have situational awareness training. I talk about the OODA loop. I talk about the uh, the code system, you know, white, yellow, orange, red, and black. I, I, I'm really trying to bring apart uh, these, these situational awareness concepts that were established in the gun community, in military, in firefighting, police officers, all these different things, because they have to have it because at all times there's a threat 24-7 with, you know, military. So they live it. Motorcyclists, we only live it when we're on a bike, and even then we're not practicing it. So my goal is to promote situational awareness and hazard perception, because if you don't see the hazard until it's right on you, it's too late. And that's what it's talking about here is that we need to improve our hazard detection time. 
So the easiest thing that you probably heard of uh, is the total stopping distance of motorcycle braking. And it could be total stopping distance for cars and whatever. Um, you have your perception time. So the moment you perceive that hazard is the moment the total stopping distance is established. It starts, okay? So if you don't see it at all, there's no stopping, right? So the moment you see it is the moment it starts. So it can be judged by time or judged by distance. So the perception time, usually the moment you see a hazard and then the moment you react is about a second, okay? And the moment you react is your reaction time. So you have perception then reaction time. And then you have stopping distance. So stop, st how far it takes you to actually stop your motorcycle. So you have perception time, so you see the hazard, you react, so now you're reaching for those brakes, and then now you're applying the brakes, and then now you're waiting for how long it takes to stop, and that all equals together. The whole equation is total stopping distance. Well, if you don't perceive it in time, or if you don't perceive it until super late, it doesn't matter how good you are at braking. It doesn't matter how fast you are at reaching for those brakes. It really is, we need to see these hazards well ahead of time. And that's where situational awareness and that's where profiling and that's where, you know, the OODA loop comes into play. You know, you got to profile intersections. Every intersection is a, is a complete danger. Every curve is a complete danger. And that is where we need to be shortening our hazard detection time. And that involves training, that involves, uh, you know, well, getting taught how to do it. And then on top of that, the writer themselves having to practice and be competent in it. So that is really big. And they're talking about how we can improve our detection time by doing that. Okay. Or, uh, sorry, improve our collision avoidance by improving our hazard detection uh, time. Sorry, it's really cold out. I'm like shivering back here. Um, electronic. So number three, electronic vehicle to motorcycle detection. Now this is part of the vehicle to vehicle. We're starting to go into vehicle to vehicle, uh, detection. So not human to human. So the human in the vehicle and then the human on the motorcycle, we're talking about the actual vehicle itself, like the, the four wheel drive or not four wheel drive, the four wheeled vehicle and the motorcycle talking to each other. Um, this is new technology. This is things that are coming out and almost becoming standard in a lot of motor, uh, sorry, uh, four-wheeled vehicles. So vehicle-based crash warning and prevention systems will be most effective at preventing collisions when they can reliably detect all vehicle types, including motorcycles. So when we start having, you know, like the Tesla and all these autonomous vehicles, they're not actively searching for motorcycles or pedestrians. We recently, well, I don't even know if it's recent anymore, but in Phoenix, we had uh, I think it was Uber testing out their autonomous vehicles and it just straight up plowed into a pedestrian at night. And that's just because their systems do not detect pedestrians. Their systems um, uh, detect uh, other vehicles. And what the NTSB is saying is that we need to have these uh, systems detecting motorcyclists. So uh, the whole uh, we're going to go into number four, which talks a little bit more about that, but it, it needs to detect all types at the end of the day. Okay, so let's just go to number four. It says add motorcycles to uh, vehicle to vehicle um, and vehicle to uh, uh, infrastructure detection. So the inter integration of motorcycles with connected vehicle to vehicle and vehicle to infrastructure systems has been limited compared to other vehicle types. So what it means, uh, we kind of talked about vehicle to vehicle. Um, 
but to jump a little bit more into that, so if like a uh, you see like even on to a Toyota Tacoma or like a really nice car or or something, you'll have the leaving out of your lane uh, indication on you know your dash on your um, on your mirrors. So it le- it tells you hey you're leaving your lane. Also it tells you hey there's a somebody in your blind spot on your mirrors to let you know hey there's somebody in your blind spot. Right now that is not detecting motorcycles. And motorcycles themselves don't have that technology. So once you start leaving your lane, it's not letting us know on a motorcycle. I mean, it's kind of easy to see that when it comes to motorcycle, but it's not letting us. And it's also not, uh, motorcycles are not being picked up on those car blind spot uh, detection systems. So that's really big. It's also not being picked up on the uh, the braking uh, assistance systems on, on cars. So to add the motorcycles into that system is going to hopefully and I and I and during the report they say that it should so I'm, I'm just basing it off my own anecdotal information is that hopefully it should uh, lower some crashes because uh, with crashes you're going to have almost every crash is going to involve some type of injury um, I think I, I think I saw in, in multiple studies it's around 11 to 12 percent ish 10 to 12 percent ish of all crashes involve a fatality of the motorcyclist so one out of 10 crashes somebody's going to die and if one out of those 10 involved uh, a vehicle not detecting them that's going to save some lives so that's really important and there's more electronic detection more motorcycle like electronic stuff that is kind of coming down the pipeline Um, so manufacturers are actively trying to do it it's it's a completely different system than cars and that's just one of the biggest things. Uh, another thing is the active headlight. So in the middle of a turn, you know how some car headlights will look through the turn. Uh, motorcycles don't have that. So we have l- limited visibility on curves, which is one of the two most dangerous areas for motorcyclists. Um, there's also stuff where uh, that's coming out. It's kind of coming down the pipeline where it will uh, alert the motorcycle rider of a turn up ahead and a warning sign to slow down for that turn based off a of GPS, based off of mapping. So I think that's kind of cool stuff that's coming up. And I think that's really important. Um, and I think that's going to help some riders. So number five is going to be ABS. So anti-lock braking system technology would improve motorcycle safety by enhancing the effectiveness of rider evasive actions through improved braking performance and stability. So the NTSB um, recommends that ABS be standard on every single on-road motorcycle. And I've approached this subject before, and I'm going to tell you guys right now, I absolutely believe that ABS should become standard on all motorcycles that are developed for on-road. Now, the reason why I say developed for on-road is because off-road motorcycles or dual sport motorcycles don't want ABS. It's actually a hindrance to off-road performance, and it's and safety, to be quite honest. So I, I believe on-road, so sport bikes, cruisers, um, standard bikes, you know, choppers, whatever it is uh, that are developed for only on-road, I believe they should have ABS standard. And that and it says in the recommendation that uh, the effectiveness of rider evasive actions um, through improved braking and stability, I absolutely 100% believe that because based off of all my after-action reviews that I've done on this channel or on the Dan and the Fireman channel, uh, a lot of it is panic braking and losing control and losing stability and losing traction because of locking up of the tire. Now, improving hazard detection time would help out with that, but we need to start 
thinking in terms of what can we improve with the human element and what can we improve with the uh, technical or non-human element of that, I guess. So to, to improve the human element of the whole situation is, yes, let's improve our hazard detection time. But if there is a failure of our hazard detection time, hopefully something on the motorcycle will prevent the catastrophic failure of a crash, basically. So it's, I always uh, interpret it as, you know, trapeze artists, you know, you're out doing your, your fancy flips and stuff, but why not have a net just in case your skill fails? And that's a lot like with motorcycle gear, you know, you could do absolutely everything perfect, but what happens if you've just fail or something happened that was out of the ordinary and now you crash? Now what? Does it matter how much skill you have? No, now we're at the you know, the mercy of physics and hopefully the gear that we purchased prior to this and properly worn and fitted would help prevent or mitigate some of the more severe incidences. So hazard detection time would prevent a lot of issues. But if we fail at that, because we're all human, we have all different things, we might be tired that day. I definitely want ABS or some type of traction control system, which we'll talk about to hopefully save my butt and to remind me, hey, I should be paying attention. So I absolutely believe uh, in terms of ABS being standard and how it will improve our stability and braking performance because we won't be doing any panic braking. And if we do a panic brake, hopefully it's going to kick in and take care of us. So number six is traction stability control systems. So stability control systems on motorcycles could reduce single vehicle crashes that involve loss of control and running wide on a curve and off the road, which would reduce the prevalence of motorcyclists killed or injured by impacts with roadside fixed objects. So right here, it's saying single vehicle help reduce single vehicle crashes. And with the ABS and with the hazard perception that we're, we're talking about, I mean, we've been talking about vehicle to vehicle, vehicle to infrastructure uh, technology, um, that is all for landmines that I like to call uh, other vehicles on the road. So vehicle to vehicle crashes and collisions, all that stuff will help prevent that. But when it comes to traction stability control systems, it says single vehicle crashes. That's because a lot of fatalities happen on curves and people going too fast into the turn, then wanting to apply the brakes and, and they're basically applying trail braking inappropriately. They lose control of their system. They low side, they swing it back up and then crash off into a fixed object. If you low side in the middle of a turn, you're going to keep sliding until you stop. And typically on the public roads, you're going to stop when you hit a curb or you're going to bounce off the curb after having a massive impact, or you're going to hit a guardrail and get wrapped around it and possibly get ripped in half. And that's quite possible. I've seen that. I've seen that with cars. Um, not very many motorcyclists in my time uh, doing that is mainly vehicle versus vehicle. Um, but uh, I've seen cars with crumple zones and everything just get wrapped around a pole. And that's easily something that can happen to a human. And they're not as strong, so they'll just get ripped in half. So I absolutely believe that traction and stability control systems should be standard on a safe basis or should be an option that is relatively inexpensive. Now, I understand ABS and traction control systems are completely different. Um, ABS is, is, it is an electronic, but it's also mechanical. And it can only do so much. Um, and then 
the cost of that is relatively inexpensive compared to traction stability control because that you have gyroscopes, you have you know computer systems, extra computer systems, you have crazy new technology that's still coming out. So it's really expensive. It's it's almost like having you know the first uh, flat panel HD TV. You know the 1080p when it first came out. You know a couple thousand dollars. Now you can find them for like a hundred bucks. You know. So I I think we're at that level right now where it's starting to become more and more standard i absolutely believe abs should be standard because it's it, you can get a for the 2018 uh honda rebel 500 it was only 399 or i think 400 maybe 500 more to get abs i i think that the price of the bike should be just increased to 500 more or figure out what the real cost is and just implement that into the base cost because ABS is a lifesaver for new riders, and based off a lot of the, the MCSS or MCCS, the motorcycle crash ca causation study, a lot of the riders that are dying are new riders. And we can go into more of, you know, who's dying, who's crashing more versus who's not, and how certain systems can help those newer riders. Um, but based on my research uh, through all the NTSB, NHTSA, um, the uh, FMV SS uh, for the Department of Transportation, all those different things. It's it's literally new riders or riders that just left a training facility, those which are new riders. So I think ABS would definitely help, and traction control uh, stability systems would definitely reduce single vehicle accidents. Okay. So number seven, it, it talks about alcohol and impairment drugs, and part of the MCCS, there was no. Uh, they they didn't they didn't grab any information for if any of them that crashed were taking drugs or alcohol they weren't tested so I'm gonna grab some information from uh, some motorcycles crashes uh, and this one is gonna be persons killed in total and alcohol impaired crashes by person in 2017 once again I'll have the link in the description for you guys so total killed motorcyclists in 2017 is 5,172 okay 1,704 of those were killed with alcohol uh in their system so 33 percent and that's pretty indicative of the total uh vehicle occupant deaths so total vehicle occupant deaths actually let's go back so the driver occupant deaths there's a total amount of drivers of a four-wheel vehicle it was 18,726 and that's the total of deaths now the ones that had alcohol is 6,158 which is 33 percent so 33 percent for drivers 33 percent for for motorcycles so that is a human problem and that is something you could just completely reduce you have a 30 you can you can reduce you know your fatality rate by a lot if you just don't drink and ride so that is huge. And if we're thinking about that, and this isn't part of the NTSB's recommendations for the MCCS, um, if you think about it, 33% reduction um, of a chance of basically being the fatal uh, crash is that 37% chance reduction of fatal crashes if you are in a crash. So if you're in a crash, you have a 37% chance of reducing the fatality of that crash by wearing a helmet. So if drinking and riding or drinking and driving is illegal, um, I personally believe a universal helmet law would help reduce uh, a lot of fatalities also. So I think the reduction of fatalities is something that we should be considering, and I can talk more about helmet use a little bit later or in a different video. But uh, let's move on to motorcycle licensing procedures. And this is their last recommendation. 
Um, so motorcycle licensing procedures have not been adequately evaluated for safety and effectiveness. So which makes it difficult to determine if current licensing procedures are achieving reductions in motorcycle crashes, injuries, fatalities, or encouraging unlicensed riders to be fully licensed. So uh, the licensing procedures, uh, the things that they have control over is the DMV. Okay, so the Motorcycle Safety Foundation, Total Control, all those other places, um, there's, there's no... Uh, direct information from the government to to find out if anything was reduced. All they can pretty much do is talk about what the DMV test is and the procedures that follow. So Arizona, I mean, every state has different stuff. So Arizona has its own thing where, you know, you get your permit, uh, you have to do 30, if you're underage, you have to get 30 hours of, of on motorcycle training after you got your permit. It's restricted by, you know, freeways, can't ride at night, no passengers, have to wear a helmet. Um, the 30 hours is is just a sign off of your parent or guardian. Um, when you turn 16, you can take a test, uh, a written test, and then a practical test, and boom, you got your full endorsement, full license. You can ride whatever the heck you want to ride at the age of 16. Uh, if you're over 18, you can pretty much do all that stuff without parent and guardian. All that's you just go in, take your stuff, do it, call it a day. So they the, that's not good. <laughs> that's not good enough, and I think. Uh, a training facility that gives you uh, two to three days of training is going to be better than the DMV's, you know, do it on your own type style. Um, at the end of the day, though, I truly believe we need more time at these training facilities before we can give somebody basically their license or a waiver to get their license. Um, but right now there's not enough studies and there's not enough stuff going on. And I've made a podcast and I made a video on how, um, we're not really doing much in terms of reducing motorcycle fatalities and we really aren't. So, uh, I think we can use as motorcycle coaches, we can use these eight tips to really, uh, add in some recommendations of our own during class. So for me, I'm always going to recommend somebody buy a motorcycle with ABS. I'm always going to recommend somebody get, uh, what they can afford when it comes to traction and stability control systems, never to drink and ride, uh, make sure to continually, uh, train because what you're getting here is not going to be enough to keep you alive. It's just going to give you the basics fundamentals. It's up to you to refine those fundamentals. Uh, vehicle hazard detection, um, where the vehicle does not see the motorcyclist, that should dictate kind of how I coach and, and what I, I say to them saying, hey, you know, you are uh, invisible uh, when it comes to riding on a motorcycle. So you must treat the other people like they cannot see you. And that means you need to try your best to get them to see you. So I think that's one of the biggest failures of the whole ride like you're invisible. Uh, I completely agree with riding like you're invisible. But Let's make it to where we're not as invisible. Let's make us visible. That's the biggest thing. And I think the modulating headlight, presentation, line of sight, all those different things that I coach and teach, uh, hopefully will reduce uh, fatalities. Like I said, hopefully, because only anecdotally right now, I can kind of see. Uh, improving hazard detection time, that's our situational awareness. And I believe we should spend more time on that in motorcycle training courses. And I think the NTSB or I'm sorry, the FMVSS, which is basically the Department of Transportation, I believe that should be a part of their training, their their owner operator manual uh, and testing process. I think that should be part of the licensing uh, thing because I don't think it's enough. I really don't think it's enough. I think it's all about the skills, um, not enough about the mental uh, aspect. 
and then the uh, electronic vehicle uh, detection and the vehicle to interface. Um, right now, there's not much we can do about that. That is more so a manufacturer recommendation, not necessarily a rider themselves or driver recommendation. But um, I would definitely use that in class and say, hey, you know, you hear about all these vehicles having, you know, blind spot detection. Realize that if you have that in your car, don't expect that you're, that's going to trigger when a motorcyclist is in your blind spot. So you should still do your head check uh, while you're driving your car. And then with that said, that if you are next to a car, don't assume that their hazard detection is going to see you. It's not. It's actually going to say that there's nothing there, and then they're going to trust that, and then they're going to go. So don't be in people's blind spots, basically, if I want to boil that down. At the end of the day, I would really like if these recommendations were adopted by the government and adopted by manufacturers and really pursued hard, uh, or at least harder. But the reality is it's, it's up to us. It's up to us as motorcycle riders, uh, car drivers. Uh, to really focus on what is safe and what is recommended by people that are smarter than us, to be quite honest. Okay, we're out there doing what we do. We ride and we crash, we die, all these different things. And they're the ones collecting the data and saying, hey, this is why you guys are crashing and dying. And we should realize that. So every crash, every fatality that happens, let's learn from it. And that is what they're doing. So with that said, hope you guys ride safe, be safe, and I'll be seeing you around.